Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we watch Revolutionary Girl Utena, the 1997 anime. If you are just joining us now, I recommend going back to the beginning because we are now about to get into the final arc of the series. This is the last episode before that kicks off. Well, sometimes maybe like you could count next episode as the last one. I personally feel like it belongs more with the end part. But uh, anyway, we are wrapping up the Akio Otori saga of the show. So we are on episode 32, Romance of the Dancing Girls. This is not quite a two-parter, but it kind of is a two-parter with the last episode. That one ended on the cliffhanger of Nanami uncovering uh, the abuse going on between Anthe and Akio. And we pick up right there with this episode. And it just kind of continues from there. Um, in the last episode, Nanami also found out that she's not related by blood to Toga. And so this girl has done a lot of growing up in the last 24 hours. Yeah. And when we come back, when this episode starts and we see her again, um, she looks a little like worse for wear. Like her hair is a little haggard in a close up shot where the rest of her face is kind of obscured. And I'm like, yeah, you can tell she didn't get a lot of sleep last night. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but first, can we talk about that opening shot of, like, seeing the city around Otori Academy and the seaside and all of that from that glorious window in the chairman's residence, like, in the bedroom? Because, like, we open in the bedroom, except it's daytime. Normally, we see the night sky there. Yeah. Sometimes we see a gigantic Saturn. (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) Or... We see two, uh, two or three moons, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the constellation Gemini. Today, yeah. we are. it is daytime and we are seeing the seaside. Now, this is totally an aside, but that shot brings up a huge memory for me from the time when I lived in Japan. Okay. Because the, the entire country is like, theoretically coastal (laughs) yeah Uh, because like even when you're going inland from the from the shore you're still going up the mountains in most places and so you can still see the ocean from a lot of places in japan (laughs) damn so one of the places that i lived uh was a small city called bapu Mm -hmm. in oita prefecture and I lived on top of a mountain there. And so my view every day was seeing the sea out beyond and the city down below. And so like this view that Nanami has, we know that like Otori Academy is on a hill and then there's the tower going up from that. She has the view that I had from my college dorm room. Damn. Yeah. Um, So like, that shot just brings up a ton of memories for me. It is completely separate from the show itself. (laughs) (laughs) But I felt like I should share that because like that is what it is like to live it 
Like when you're living on a mountain, that's what it's like there. Also, just like the point that you brought up about like at night, it is just stars. Um, yeah, folks, that's not how like windows work. <laughs> like if you see like if you see like a city skyline and the coast like during the day, that is also what you see at night. And yeah, sure. It might be backlit by stars and like you see, but it's not like the stars have completely obscured the window. And I know they probably draw <laughs> that for like artistic effect and it's beautiful. Oh, absolutely. But uh, it, it kind of cracks me up because again, it's like, oh yeah, they just do that because it's pretty and blah, blah, blah. But again, they Anything that they do in this show is not like, oh, just whatever. It's always intentional. So uh, who knows? Maybe the entire fucking chairman's like top levels just like transported into the stars at night. Uh, they just like plane shift <laughs> <laughs> into the fucking astral sea at night. Uh, and that, why, that explains why uh, Nanami had such a long elevator ride. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even the relationship between the planetarium floor and the residence is a little fuzzy. Yeah. Because, like, that's a fairly long elevator ride for one floor. Yeah, and I joke about it being a planar shift, but, like, uh, y'all, with how close Saturn was and the constellation Gemini and the fucking two moons, it's like... That that element of magical realism is definitely present on that floor and in that space. Oh yeah, the, Utena at this point has completely bought into the world as it is at Atori Academy. She's been Stockholm syndromed like fully. Yeah, yeah. Like season one, Utena would have called that out instantly. Yeah. Now it's like, no man, the sky just does funny things up here. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's either that like magic is real <laughs> or like fucking Akio and Choo Choo are out, out in front of this window, just like waving like a blanket in front of the window, like a kaleidoscope. <laughs> 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 like, oh yeah, let's put this in front of Anthe's window tonight. I don't expect you to figure it out, but I will oh, say- yeah. You have all the information you need to figure it out at this point in the show. Well, Almost I mean, it, no one figures it out, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty obvious that, like, someone is manipulating the environment around them, like the whole school. I mean, even like the flagrancy later in the episode with which Akio smashes through a window with the car. And it's well, just that's like just because he was texting and driving. <laughs> um, like the ease in which he does that is like, yeah, fuck that. Somebody will we'll just clean it up later. And I, I kind of feel like some or of the, the things cars that... in the dueling arena or the dueling arena itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, I it's kinda... always been there from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kind of feel like e maybe even some of the things that happen to the characters, I kind of feel like Akio and Anthe will be like, we'll just mind wipe that later. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel that way. Like, it feels like they have complete control over this school and everything that happens and everything that goes on over it. 
not even kind of, it does. It's very apparent that they are the ones in control here. So I don't know, like, it's like, oh, who's the puppet and who's the puppeteer? It kind of feels like both, to be honest. Just feels like both. Yeah. Anthe definitely has, like, a strong hand in what happens and what role that she plays. I feel there's some scenarios where I don't think Anthe can control what happens to her, but or doesn't want to. But um, yeah, it's it's I mean, it's them. <laughs> it's it's them they're fucking with everything and they're also like intentionally luring uh utana into this like sense of family and security and it's so fucking diabolical because she's never had that you in you you oh, yeah. mental fucks like <laughs> how dare you how dare you do this to an orphan yeah, were, no, they they are absolutely playing on her like greatest need is that need for connection. Yeah. And like, oh my God, even the breakfast scene in the morning after where like Akio's got the apron on and is cooking and um like Anthe's serving or whatever. Uh it like they're setting it up like I'm the mom and he's the dad, and it's like And that's Nanami's commentary in this episode gives me so much life because (laughs) she's just like, get the fuck away from me, you sick freaks. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we got to come back to this at the end of the series once you know, like, everything. Mm -hmm. Because, like, the way that Nanami grows over the course of the past episode and this episode set up something that I think probably should have happened that doesn't. We get Mm -hmm. a duel, which is completely appropriate, but all things considered, I think the show, I I think like the internal continuity of the show and the consistency of the setting would be better served by a different resolution to this episode than a duel. But I can't yeah. really say exactly what I wish had happened until the end of the series. So, <laughs> got it. Um, I, I think a listener who is familiar with the series might be able to guess what I think should have happened here. Um, if you if you guess it, and you or if you want to write in and guess, I will email you back and tell you if you were right. But I won't say it on the show right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not until not until Chesney has seen through the end of the series. <laughs> Listeners, if you can, go ahead and get into your mind space and pull that premonition right now that we're recording this <laughs> and send in. No, I'm fucking with you. So um, they have breakfast in the morning and it's aside from like how creepy it is, it would be adorable. Yeah. Akio and Anthe are both wearing these adorable aprons <laughs> which i have to say like as far as animation quality goes it feels like the aprons were a last minute addition to the scene <laughs> because they're just color blocks <laughs> bless and so uh it feels like somebody like Ikuhara was like, okay, they need to have aprons on. And the only people who were free were like the interns. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you can tell with this episode that, like, they were just trying to get through the first half of it for um, a good portion of the scenes. Like, yeah, fuck it, whatever, just draw whatever. Uh, Because there's, like, a very derpy moment where they're all sitting at the table that I'm going to have to screen cap and post to my Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it matches perfectly with my derpy little Utena avatar. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like there was there was some stuff at the very beginning of this episode where they were like, yeah, 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 come on, move it along. Let's go. So Utena says that Akio's cooking bears no resemblance to Anthe's. That is not a f- shared family trait. Anthe thanks her for it and Utena has to clarify that wasn't a compliment (laughs) (laughs) so like maybe a little nugget of self-awareness there from Anthe ironically (laughs) (laughs) and uh, they offer some to Nanami and Nanami knocks it away and it lands on top of Choo Choo Um, she at this point is so disturbed and so disgusted that she can't even politely play along with this family act. And like, I'm proud of her for that. Don't stand up for that shit. Yeah. Uh, Like this is one of those moments where I want to, I want a version of this meme with Nanami that just says, if it sucks, hit the bricks. (laughs) (laughs) And also like, she's not even, She's like flat out not participating to where it's like she's not even eating, which I get it. She's like thoroughly shaken up and disgusted. Yeah. Also, I want to point out really quick that um, I quickly looked up what rose hips uh, symbolize because that's what the jam that uh, they're talking about over breakfast is made out of. And uh, it says it symbolizes waiting for your true love. Which just, like, another, like, knife of irony in the fucking (laughs) backs of everyone in this episode. I feel like, like, Utena and Nanami both. And, uh, of course, Anthea is the one who made it. So, I'm like, yeah. yeah. Even in the the minor symbolism, there's just more knives (laughs) in these characters' backs. (laughs) These poor things. And so Nanami storms off and Akio is just like, oh, she must be terribly tormented. Like, fuck off, dude. Oh, oh my God. And the you way know he exactly like what's going on, dude. The way he like puts his hand on Utena's shoulder, like as a um a a fatherly type gesture of like, it's okay, let her go. Fuck off. Get yeah. away from me. <laughs> So we cut to a scene with uh, Mickey and Nanami. So I find this really interesting that because she doesn't have Toga and now she doesn't have Utena and like we saw with the cow episode that even when her close friends or quote unquote friends, Keiko, Aiko and Yuko, uh, when none of them could stand up to her with the cow stuff, Utena could. But now she can't even go to Utena about this. Yeah. Who's left? This is like, if you've seen The Watchmen, mm-hmm. this is like that scene from The Watchmen between Moloch and the comedian, where like the comedian has nobody to turn to except his enemies. 
Like they're the only people who he can confide in because um, he can't go to his friends because his friends aren't even really his friends. His enemies know him better. <laughs> and like Nanami doesn't even have that anymore with no. Utana. So like she has to go to her work friend, basically, like her <laughs> fellow student council member. <laughs> but but we've seen like that Jury and Mickey like genuinely care about her. I don't know that we've seen necessarily. They care about her, but I don't think she sees it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I don't think we've seen how Nanami actually feels and perceives about them and Till this moment. Honestly, I took it as like Mickey is uh the guy who is the least threatening in my life right now. So let me go to him. Well, right. That's what I mean. Like she has gone down her list of people she can turn to and has landed on Mickey. <laughs> and like <laughs> and like we know how far down her list Mickey is. Yeah. Um, so one thing I want to point out, like while she's proposing this like room swapping, uh, Mickey is like totally on board with it. He hops right in with this idea. He, he's immediately like, well, yeah, I suppose we could. Uh, I have to run it by like Kozue and the chairman. But, and Nanami's like, no, 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 no. I was kidding. And she's <laughs> like, these people would eat him alive. So oh we now have this moment where she's younger than Mickey. But because of a thing she has experienced, and this is a real thing with trauma, because of a thing she has experienced, she can no longer relate to people her own age. And she yeah. doesn't want to put Mickey through what she has just gone through. Because like whoever moves in here has a risk of seeing the exact same thing she did. And I feel like if Mickey had, he would have had a very similar spiral. Understandably, it's fucking traumatic. I find it interesting that like Mickey is the one she goes to here and proposes this because of all the people who could have a similar experience, Mickey is it because of Kozue. Yeah. He's yeah. the other person with a sibling at the school. Just one. Just there's only three people with siblings at this school. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of you siblings aren't allowed. Take yeah. them away. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to point out one thing about the scene, though. The sheet music on the piano. Um, the tempo marker is rubato. Tempo rubato is like, it's telling the musician that they can set the tempo and adjust it up and down as they feel it in the piece. So like, they can slow down a measure and then speed up a measure. However it feels to them. The irony of that tempo marker is that the sheet music is an entire page, like 16 measures of silence. It's like John Cage's four minutes, 33 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, of course, that's the tempo for it. Of course, you can like speed up and slow down. It's all silent. <laughs> <laughs> Also, it's accentuated uh, with the beat of the metronome and an oven timer every couple of marks. I don't 
I was trying to pick out if it was timed like on particular measures. It didn't feel like it to me, but I could be wrong. For me, I thought it was like she grasped an idea or Mickey grasped an idea at the same time. But anyway, so Nanami is just kind of drifting about in the school. And she had just said previously, like, it feels like I have nowhere to go. Where do I belong now? And she finds herself at um, the Rose Garden that I call the birdcage um, and sees Toga going inside. And she just has a moment where she's like, she remembers saying that she loves him. And she's like, oh, God, how can I face him now? Um, And she still spies on him, though. (laughs) yeah like she can't help herself kind of thing um and she gets up to the window and looks in and sees him with another girl or another person at first she just sees another arm and toga like hears a noise and turns around and kind of smiles to himself and then we find out that he's with the girl because she's like oh what was that did you hear something and he just smiles and goes no it was nothing nothing's there which like come the fuck on. We know yeah. that he saw- <laughs> We know that he saw like that little smile and like you fucking saw your sister. You know your sister's there. Yeah. Um and with that, I wrote down in my notes like from this moment on, everything he does in this scene is completely intentional. Knowing that she's there and trying to get her to face the music. And so He tells the girl that he's with, oh, yeah, no, that was nothing. Uh, And she goes, oh, thank God. You know, if your sister spotted me, she'd kill me. (laughs) Like an on-site kind of thing. And um, he goes, oh, I have no sister. She's like, what? He goes, "Uh, yeah, I don't have a sister. Um, We're not blood related. And she's like, oh, well, you always seem like such the perfect big brother. And he just flat out goes, yeah, that was just an act. My father ordered me to do it. Um, Yeah. Do you really think I'd associate with anybody like that for any other reason? A common, boring girl like her? Now, dear listener, this is where I differ from Nanami. And Nanami is younger and she is experiencing uh, this conflict for the first time. And it's understandably traumatic for her. Um, I would have rushed in and he would have met these hands because... (laughs) uh no (laughs) you're not gonna be like uh oh yeah we're we're blood related you're you're my sister wait we're not blood related but it doesn't matter because i still love you we should still be there for each other to turning around and telling some fucking girl like i don't care about her she's common and boring oh my god i would have broken through that glass to kill him oh yeah yeah like if i was in anami's shoes first words out of my mouth would be like well if we're not blood related then this isn't kin slaying <laughs> <laughs> truly like it would have been a fucking meet me in the dueling ring bitch yeah. like yeah. <laughs> we deserved a duel between oh. nanami and toga not I between want- nanami and utana i wanted it so bad this whole episode i was begging nanami to please just go fight him because he needs his ass kicked so bad like he recovered too well from utena kicking his ass quite obviously because he is too cocky and too on that bullshit he needs an ass kicking 
I wanted Nanami to do it so bad. Ugh. Toga should That's... have had a duel last episode where he beats Utena to set up for Nanami beating Toga this episode. Yeah. I wish to God it had happened. Ugh. And you don't know what happens next, but it would have set up next episode in a really interesting way. If Utena wasn't the one who's engaged to Anthe when next episode goes down. Like, I get why it couldn't be that way. Like, I understand on a meta level, like, what it means for her to be the one who has won all of the duels. And, like, why that makes her important enough for the next set of events to occur. But I also think that, like... We deserved to see Nanami and Toga fight each other and then Utena have to take it back from Nanami. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Utena's track record isn't perfect, so what the fuck does it matter anyway? Like, she already lost once to Toga. Fuck, can't she just lose a couple times here and there? <sighs> I'm not salty. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get, like, the big reveal. That Toga has been talking to Keiko this whole time. And I have to say, for one, Keiko, you deserve better than Toga. You truly do, girl. You definitely deserve to be free of Nanami. And two, and two, Keiko, you were exactly right. Nanami's coming to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but Autumn, does does she though? Does Does she deserve better? Because she straight up was like, oh my god, you're so scary and I love it. Like, she's fully... I Like, that was Toga's full face. And I don't know that Keiko is, like, swept up in an illusion the way that some of the other girls are with Toga. Because she just saw the true face and was like, yeah, I'm down to clown with that. Like... And then the way that she talks to Nanami, like, through this whole episode. Like, okay, I get, maybe Nanami hasn't treated you the best. But, like, I don't know, man. The vibes from Keiko this episode were fucking sinister. <laughs> that is, like, some Gemini and Aries mixing energy right there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> we know that Toga's a Gemini. We don't know what Keiko's sign is, but I'm going to guess Aries, just because of the way in which those two mix. Maybe she's a Sagittarius, but like, that's where can I'm going I, with this. <laughs> can I say something controversial? Yeah, go for it. She kind of feels like... If you say Virgo, I'm firing you from this podcast right now. <laughs> okay, I won't say what I was going to say. <laughs> she, she kind of feels like Shmurgo. <laughs> and I say, you know, I say this as one. I'm like, we both are. I know. I know. I'm fully aware. <laughs> but I'm like, ooh, that's like looking in the, um, that's like looking in a dark mirror. <laughs> it is. <laughs> But, That's would my you ever, but would you ever date a Gemini as a Virgo? I think I did once when I was stupid. 
I also like my Mars is in Gemini. So like that <laughs> for real, that was like looking in my dark mirror episode. <laughs> Where I was just like, oh God, this is sinister. Oh, Nanami doesn't deserve this. <laughs> so, so Toga tell, uh, so Nanami goes in to confront them and ends up confronting Toga. And he says to her, that she'll understand someday. Like she says that like she ha- understands that like he ha- he's going to date other girls and all that. Um but just not her. And Keiko's like, "Bitch, what? <laughs> what do you mean not her? What's oh wrong with God. me?" <laughs> oh, and Nanami does finally get her just desserts. Like she goes around slapping people all throughout the fucking s- the show. Uh <laughs> She gets a taste of her own medicine from Keiko, which, like, it's been a while since we've had some slaps. This one was, like, making up for it. This episode was. Uh, And even though I'm like, yeah, Nanami, like, slapped a lot back in the last episode. This one was like, damn, girl, you're really going to kick her while she's down? But, like, that is Nanami's just desserts, though, because she did that all throughout the series so far. I love that Keiko beats back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. She doesn't take it this time. Yeah. I mean, we do see in a future scene like how far that goes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my but I god. do appreciate uh I do appreciate a woman who can stand up for herself. Yeah. And valid. not just take it. Yeah. Like you can't always stop yourself from getting hit, but you can at least hit back. Yep. Uh, This podcast condones violence. No, I'm kidding. Um, When Toga goes, are you implying that you're the better choice? And the emphasis, like the way he says it is like, are you implying that you're the better choice? Like looking down his nose at her. Ah. Again, all of this is intentional. Like, he did this by choice to serve his own purpose and agenda. And it's just so cruel. Yeah. Because she's a child. She is the most, like, essence of a child. Because she is the youngest. (laughs) Well, Suabuki. But, like, in this episode, she is the youngest. Within their circle, she is the youngest. It's so cruel to treat a child this way. And Toga does not give a shit. Well, also remember, all of them are children except for Akio. Yeah, so in a way, it's kind of like a... It's like bullying from a peer perspective. Yeah, it's a little unfair to expect them to have adult level of maturity in dealing with all of this. Okay, but like Toga's a senior, 17 is still a kid you know (laughs) yeah i don't know i'm always gonna hold toga to i mean that that is not too young to hurt people yeah i will grant that but like in terms of expecting emotional maturity i i can't see it like they're all still kids so nanami is left alone and she's bemoaning that she thinks like she's like all of the others now she isn't special. She isn't unique. She doesn't have this special bond with Toga that makes her more important than the others. 
and she's had his phone this entire time, and now she just throws it against the wall. In the background of this entire scene, Anthe has been filling the watering can, and she's been having trouble with the knob on the faucet. And at this moment, the knob breaks off, and the can of water is now overflowing because she can't shut it off. And she just quietly says, well, now what will I do? And like, this is like Nanami's emotions. Mm -hmm. Like both now, what will I do? And also it's overflowing because you can't stop it anymore. There's no way to, to control the bleeding. Yeah. At the very end, she even asked Togo for that like final olive branch, that final reassurance of like, please just tell me you were kidding. Don't tell me you meant what you said. And he refuses to answer. And so the emotions just overflow. Yeah. My heart breaks for her in this episode. It really does. Hey, Autumn from the future here. We're about to spend the next few minutes talking about sexual assault. And so if you don't want to engage with that, go ahead and skip forward anywhere between like five to eight minutes or so. So now we have a very curious scene. Creepy and curious because it's just kind of inserted in here. We see Akio with Kanae in the uh, in the planetarium. And Kanae's eyes are completely glazed over. Her body is limp, like she's been drugged. Her eyes are open, but there's no one there. Akio feeds her a slice of apple, and then we see the apple itself. And there are 11 forks stuck in this apple. What did you make of that scene? So, two things. It didn't occur to me until just now, but the parallel of, like, the apple in this shot and the way that Kanae is behaving and, like, the poison apple in Snow White. Um, also, okay. weirdly, if you weirdly, if you think about it, the 11 forks in the apple and the 12th feeding her. Oh, <laughs> never mind. I was thinking of uh, the dwarves, and then I was like, nope, I got the confused with the 12 disciples. <laughs> <laughs> it was the seven dwarves and the 12 disciples anyway i still think that it's a poison apple <laughs> i still think the uh connection to a poison apple is there um also the other thing i want to mention is that if you go back and watch that scene because i had to watch it twice if you go back and watch that scene um akio has one arm around her he uses the other to like adjust her other shoulder or her face. And a third hand comes in to feed her the apple. That's Anthe before she leaves the room. Oh yeah. Good call. Uh, so again, reinforcing that she has um, played a part in all of this. Um, I did not know what to make of Kane's disposition. I didn't know if she was like, depressed drugged um traumatized I, I i still don't know but um complete 180 from the one we saw in the black rose saga like she looks sallow she does not look healthy and i'm like i don't know if the undertone here was like they were having to force feed her something because she's not eating 
that feels like a little bit of a stretch, but like she just didn't look good, man. Not just the like glazed over eyes, but like sh- her skin looked jaundiced a little. That's why I'm saying drugged. Yeah. I think whatever is happening next is not happening with Kane's consent. And that's why Anthe doesn't want Utena going in there. That is sick. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> um, but like, given everything we know about Akio, I have a hard time seeing that scene any other way. Yeah. He is very much a I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want type of person. Because power over women is his guiding principle. Yeah. And like, I I don't want to go like too far down this rabbit hole. But like at the same time, I don't think it's hard to piece together what led up to that either. Like, imagine Akio having to explain to Kanae that Utena is now living there and she knows that Utena has turned his head like he is interested in her yeah that is obvious and you know like he needs to have control because if he doesn't have control of her then he loses his position and with all of this we see the ways in which he will use whatever means necessary to keep connections that he wants and do i do i believe that akio would rape a woman in order to solidify a connection with her absolutely yeah he would absolutely do that and or to maintain some kind of power over her whether or not it's blackmail or not so yeah um it makes the it makes what's going out it makes what's going on outside of the planetarium room um seems like such a contrast because Utena's outside doing a fucking headstand just being like oh it's eight o'clock we haven't had dinner yet like what's going on like literally waiting outside like a child (laughs) (laughs) i mean like a little kid, like, oh, why haven't we had dinner yet? Kind of thing. Yeah. The juxtaposition is deeply unsettling. Yeah. And the fact that the bulk of the scene is played on what's going on out here, I think highlights the horror of what's going on in uh, in the planetarium. Yeah. Um, and then we have <laughs> another scary moment in the episode. <laughs> Where uh, when Anthe comes out and Utena asks about dinner, Anthe's like, I'll just make us shaved ice. Um, We've never like That is just a straight up jump scare. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anthe proposing to make uh, shaved ice is something no one is ever prepared for. That is like a clown in the shadows (laughs) or like a ghost in your rear view mirror. Like, oh my God. This went from comedy to horror real quick <laughs> especially with her and that fucking saw <laughs> we we've never seen her like make it she always just goes and comes back with it 
Uh, this time we see her pull out this huge fucking jagged saw and just start hacking away at this block of ice. Nanami's like crouched in the floor at this point. <laughs> and Anthony comes over with the saw. She's like, she fucking scares me to death. <laughs> and she's like, do I? Thank you. <laughs> what do you mean, Anthony? <laughs> what do you mean? I do want to point <laughs> I do want to point out, though, there is one bit in this scene before we get there where Utena's like, oh, I should go check on them. And at first, Anthony's like, don't. Don't go in there. Very firm, almost panicked about, like, stopping her from going in. She knows that what's going on in there isn't okay. And, like, the urgency of that moment is such that, like, she needed Utena to stop so fast that like she couldn't even come up with a plausible way to get her to stop aside from just telling her to stop. And then she realizes she took it too far to like a suspicious degree, like to a degree where an ordinary person would be well within their rights to ask, why are you so afraid of me going in there? Um, And she covers it with saying it much more politely don't go in there we should give them their privacy but like the first time she says it it wasn't even that like it wasn't even hey 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 hold on don't go in there give them their privacy it was don't yeah you know it was firm direct panicked and like if you didn't know what was going on in there before that moment Anthe's reaction to Utena almost opening that door tells you everything. Yep. Yeah, even Anthe just going, please let them enjoy their alone time together makes me want to vomit. Yeah. And like, this is a slight thing that you might not notice with the, the localization, but like the word Anthe uses to tell Utena to stop is the same in both sentences. The translation doesn't translate them the same way. She does repeat the word just more politely the second time she says it. Mm. And so like the localization changes the sentence itself, but like that word, dame, she's telling her to stop. And then she pulls back and says it more politely. Got it. So like it's slightly more subtle in like the original in the original uh, Japanese. But the emotion is there either way. Uh, yeah. We just did that dub versus sub episode. I'm now suddenly curious how the su- uh, how the dub handled that. <laughs> oh, yeah. We've got to watch that. Um, but then we go to commercial. And we pick back up in the bedroom. And Nanami is gazing out the window. And, you know, she's got her hand on the glass She's having flashbacks of her time with Toga. Uh, and she tries to talk to Utena. And all she can manage to tell her is like, it's weird that you guys are sleeping in the same bed. <laughs> yeah, it's weird that y'all two sleep each other sleep facing each other every night. <laughs> and Utena protests and she's like, you're either weird or you're dense. And then she's like, yeah, you must be dense if you can live here with that perverted brother and sister. And Utena isn't even phased by her saying this. Like, she just keeps talking. (laughs) Yeah, again, like, 
yet more evidence of just how far Utena's like been drawn in. Because again, I feel like an earlier version of Utena would have been like, wait, what do you mean? Why don't call them perverted? Why would you say that? Right. Yeah. Season one, Utena didn't feel like she knew Anthe well enough. She would have been more skeptical about what was being said about her. Yeah. So there's a phone ringing and the phone is answered. And then we cut to see Choo Choo answered the phone. Uh, Mid-sleep, by the way. He was yeah. like, <laughs> he was sleeping and like floating up and down the room from the floor to the ceiling <laughs> between his snores. <laughs> um, but again, as an extension of Anthe, everything he does is intentional. So he wanted that phone to be answered. And so, so Nanami takes the phone away. And at first, it's another girl pleading for Toga. And Nanami loses her patience and is like, who is this? Tell me who this is. And the voice on the other end of the line says, it's the end of the world. Toga is waiting for you. So another two things about this. The first voice, the first feminine voice sounds familiar. It doesn't sound familiar in the way of like, oh, this sounds like like one of those girls that called before. It sounds like one of the shadow girls. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you caught that. And I like I felt kind of crazy. <laughs> no, that was definitely one of the shadow girls. Okay. So, um then that's like an even wilder implication because um like the shadow girls are a part of Otori Academy. So of course, like they fall under the scope of Anthe and Akio, but the fact that it was one of their voices and then it immediately pip changes and pivots to being it's fucking Akio on the other line, like on, on the line. And he just like magicked up this voice. Um, so he's this, they're the shadow girls. Question mark. Yeah. <laughs> Exclamation point. So, <laughs> The Shadow Girls up until this point have been critical and providing commentary. And now for the first time, we see them complicit in something that's happening. They are entering the narrative in a, an even more bold way than before. And buckle up. Next episode and the ones coming after that, it's going to get even bigger in that regard. Like This is our first taste of the Shadow Girls stepping into the proper narrative. Oh my god. See, because, okay, we haven't had a tinfoil hat moment in a while, so go ahead and take a moment, dust yours off, put it on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this is where it gets weird. Because oh, if the this is where it gets weird? Yes, yes, <laughs> here and now. <laughs> I'm going to take you on a journey. Um, much different than the one the end of the world does. So, if like the shadow girls don't actually exist. And if they are just like somehow extensions uh, or like magical creations of Anthe and Akio, um, they themselves could be just be Anthe and Akio breaking the fourth wall and talking to the viewer because fuck it. Magic is real. They control the world. So uh, reality is theirs to bend and play with as they will. Um, we saw that the Shadow Girls <laughs> are fucking aliens. They are confirmed aliens. <laughs> are those two fucking aliens? 
I just like me throughout this whole show is literally just that aliens meme. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Anthony and Akio aliens confirmed. All right. We can get on with the rest of the podcast now. <laughs> so Nanami goes to confront Toga. He's in the chair in the like ballroom, I guess. Like the room where he was sulking. Uh, for an entire season and she goes in and her first words are do you know who the end of the world is and she doesn't really get an answer to that but then she goes on to say like she still loves him you know she still has feelings but she can't do this anymore and so she has requested to transfer to another school and at that moment toga holds up the what i'm assuming is the the envelope that has her request to transfer. Yeah. And, and at that moment, um, Toga, you know, does his whole, his speech. The, if you, if your heart is not truly given up that speech. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this might be the last time he gives this speech. Oh shit. Cause this is not the last duel of the series. But I think this is the last one that he is like the shepherd bringing them to Akio. Because like with Nanami, that's the end of the the student council. Right. Because like he's not going to give himself the speech, you know. (laughs) (laughs) He's just looking in a mirror. (laughs) (laughs) He's got like his finger on the glass of the mirror. His nose is like pressed up against it. If your heart has not truly given up. (laughs) I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, Akio crashes through the windows because he was on his phone while driving. Distracted driving, people. It's how you end up in somebody's living room. Yep. And so that's when Nanami figures it out that he's the one who is on the other end of the line. Yep. He's the end of the world. Yeah. He finally gets named as that. For clear, like for certain, very clearly. Yep. Which, like, we've pretty much known this whole time, like with this arc at least. So, this car ride is a lot of what I was saying last episode. Now, it's Akio himself saying it, and also Toga, really. So, Nanami is like trying to say that, like, the chairman is awful because of what he does with his sister. But she can't bring herself to say it. Yeah. And like she legitimately she tries and she gets like sick. Like it makes her sick to her stomach to even try and say it. And I have to believe that like Nanami could have powered through that if not for the actual like danger of the situation she's in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, let's say she forces that confrontation by saying it. She's with Akio and Toga in a car away from the school. And she'd be confronting Akio about this in a situation where she has no power if she has to follow that up. And she doesn't have anyone to fucking back her up. Toga's already left her out to dry. Right. And like, clearly Toga is not going to have her back on that confrontation. No. I mean, like, is it established that Toga knows what 
Akio and Anthe do. Does he know? Is he in on that at this point? I doubt it. I doubt he knows. But I don't think that he would turn on the chairman over it either. And I think Nanami picks up on that. Yeah. God. So at this point, Akio says something. And this is another one of those moments where the thing Akio is saying is true. But Akio is saying it for his own purposes, his own benefit, not like to help Nanami see the truth and and become a better person. You know, like, right. uh, Yeah, my God, he could never be altruistic in any form. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, everything he does serves his own purpose. He's not trying to help anybody out here. So she like seizes up while trying to like say what she saw. And he's like, well, what did you see? Merely your own world, the world which you perceive, the world in which you exist, a world that is a labyrinth with no way out. So he's going full, like, question your own perceptions on this. It's like, no, f- dude, you, you're fucking having sex with your sister. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Akio. In my world, I perceived this because I saw you doing it. <laughs> Well, and also, <laughs> the underlying thing that Akio is trying to be like here is not like, oh, you didn't, like, you only see what you want to see. It's more like you perceive, like, the way that your world is set up is based off of your own judgments. And what would that world be like if there were, if those judgments weren't there? And it's like, yeah, man, incest is bad. I don't know what to fucking oh. tell you. <laughs> you... You got really close to saying something I thought you were going to say there. Like, he's saying, and this is where, like, a therapist might say something similar, but in a different way. (laughs) Which is, like, Nanami saw what happened between Akio and Anthe through the lens which she views the world. Which is a world in which she is obsessed with her brother Toga. And so... What Akio is trying to do here is like peel that away in a self-serving way mm-hmm. to be like, you only saw it that way. You only perceived it that way because you're obsessed with your brother too. And secretly, this is your fantasy also. And like, yeah, technically we didn't get the reverse angle shot of, of him plowing her missionary on the couch like we didn't see that but we didn't have to see that and he's trying to make it seem like this is all projection on her part in order to like make it seem like he's not a disgusting man like he is um and like right on cue toga starts putting the moves on nanami to be like hey isn't this what you actually wanted we're not brother and sister, so it's okay now. So they're just coming out and saying the thing that I said was heavily implied last episode. Yeah. Again, like, (laughs) the amount of, uh, well, you only saw what you wanted to, and, like, uh, turns out incest is good. Like, what? (laughs) Right. Like, the amount of 
<laughs> gaslighting to Nanami of like, you didn't, that, that's not what you saw. But then also, like, what if it was? Like, that's not so bad, right? <laughs> like, what? I'm sorry. Why? Well, how did I get in this fuckboy corner? And can I please get away? Can I please get out? I would like out of this car now. Yeah. Like, if this was a therapy session, it would be put back to Nanami as like, so that resonated with you because you have this obsession with your own brother. You have these unresolved feelings about how things have gone with him. And Akio's over here using that as a lever to move her, not to like help her change or help her grow. He is trying to control her the way he tries to control everyone. Which with Nanami, like I, I just am questioning like to what end? Like, are you just trying to control all of the duelists to, like, come together, put all their swords together, and, like, unlock the fucking castle on the duelist platform? Like, I, I'm, I don't, I don't really understand what the end goal here is with Nanami and him. Like, okay, her and her brother kiss, now what? Like, what is the point in you breaking, uh, first of all, this child? Second of all, uh, her moral code um, and like what she, the relationship and what she actually wanted, like with her brother or the person she thought was her brother. I, I mean, I know we get like a glimpse into why at the end, but I don't understand Akio's motivations here with this. And maybe I will in like the next couple of episodes, but it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, is the end goal you're just trying to make everybody that has a sibling like you and Anthe? I don't get it. Well, I I think in this case, this is more about riling her up in order to duel. Okay. Because, like, this is the lever which will move Nanami. Yeah. And so he is grabbing the one handle with which he can control her. And get her to fight again. That's true because the end goal for him is Utana in some way, shape, or form. Like that small little snippet we saw at the beginning of the Black Rose saga of him talking to Dios question mark, whoever is in the castle. I have to assume it's Dios. Um, and mentioned like she has to do these trials and do these things in certain order. So okay, I could see that like that's his that is his motivation. Well, think about it. Like Let's say he is setting this up and Utena loses. Well, now his attention would have to shift to Nanami because he's after whoever's the strongest. Yeah. And on the other hand, they have to fight because either it turns out Nanami is stronger or at the very least, Utena has to be tested to make sure she's the strongest. Yeah. And so this is one of, if not the final trial of that the dueling game is coming to a close very soon yeah i mean we only have a few episodes left yeah and just like with ruka and jury akio is using toga to move nanami yeah so then we get a scene of the broken and defeated nanami being confronted by keiko aiko and yuko I'm putting broken and defeated in quotation marks, by the way. (laughs) And Keiko 
is gloating that they no longer have a reason to follow Nanami. They know that she doesn't have any special connection to Toga anymore. They can get with Toga on their own merits without having to go through her. And finally, she's like, what does that look for? Cut to Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko standing behind Nanami, all bandaged up as she confronts Utena. (laughs) And Nanami doesn't have a scratch on her queen. What a queen. (laughs) They even have Choo Choo tied up. Oh my god, yeah, they kidnapped Choo Choo. Which, like, that was, I mean, Anthe let that happen. He's a magical monkey mouse. He could have disappeared. You know what I mean? Like, nobody binds Choo Choo except by his own will. Not e- like not even the fucking sands of time can bind Choo Choo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he reincarnates. Really- like, in- right? Do you really think some rope is gonna do that? <laughs> <laughs> so now we have the Shadow Girls, and this one is similar to the um, I want to say like the faucet earlier, and I'll, I'll get to why I think this is similar in a moment. Uh, this one is all about psychic tricks and like using psychic powers to, to bend spoons and bend forks. And at the very end, uh, one of the shadow girls bends the other shadow girl in half. And the one who's getting bent is like, you're a fraud. You're a con artist. This is, these are all tricks. This isn't real, but nevertheless, she's getting bent in half to the point where her back breaks. Yeah. Uh, and the psychic, quote unquote, psychic one is like, well, if it's a, if you think it's a fraud, then how do you think I'm doing it? And they're like, how should I know? You're the fraud, not me. <laughs> uh, and I feel like this connects to the the broken faucet bit earlier, in that uh, it all has to do with like Nanami feeling like she isn't in control anymore. Like, I think in this moment with the Shadow Girls, the one who's, like, getting bent is Nanami. Yeah. And she's protesting, like, I don't know how you're doing this, but this is a trick. This is a fraud. Um, And yet it's still working on her anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have the flip side of it, which is, like, the other person is manipulating her. Right. Like, you don't always need to know how the person is doing it to know that they are doing it. Right. Like when someone's gaslighting you, the how isn't always as like clear as the what. Like you you know this isn't right. Your memory says this isn't right, but you might not have the words to refute it the way that like this person is setting the terms of the fight that you need to like keep it within the terms they set. You might not have the words to to compete with that, but you know it's not right. And I think that's the position Nanami has gotten herself into. Or rather, that's the position that these men have put Nanami in. Yeah. So I think the conclusion that Nanami came to, I think, from the car scene, the end of the world scene, is to try and take back um, the power that she once had, uh, she needs to play the game. Just like all the rest of the student council duelists have done. And she throws herself into it 
uh, as hard as she can. I mean, like, the duel kind of starts and her and Toga are kind of posed like Jesse and James would be from any Pokemon episode. Like, <laughs> J- <laughs> Toga walks up all cool. Nanami's posed, uh, posed up on the back of the car or on the front of the car. Um, and she just says, what I want is to surpass everything. I'll beat you in a duel and surpass my brother, the person I was, everything. She's both trying so hard to get back to a place and also simultaneously leave it all behind her. And Utina just says, you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like when the duel starts, she's on the car like a pinup. Yeah. Like this entire, exp- like that moment, that shot to me is like one image that tells the story of how trauma forces you to grow up too quickly. Yeah. So like between Akio and Toga sexualizing her and her witnessing Anthe and Akio, this is what she makes of herself in this moment. Like her final time stepping into the dueling arena. I don't think it's a spoiler to say this is her final time. There's only six episodes left. We're not going to have time to go through the whole list again. Yeah. Her final time stepping into the dueling arena, she is visibly making herself seem older than she actually is and more mature than she actually is. This entire episode has been pushing Nanami toward this like early adulthood. And it's really tragic to see it. And I feel like that shot with her on the car just sums it all up right there. And she still has a level of ferocity about her as she duels, but oh yeah, it's it's not the same as the first duel. I mean, it's interesting because both were f- fierce and also desperate in their own way. In the first duel with Nan- with Nanami, I mean, she was like an unhinged animal, like push the bounds and the limits of the duel to where like she fucking drew a dagger at Utena at the last second after the duel had already been won. Like she was that desperate to like win still. And there's a ferocity and a desperation, but also just like a crumpling sadness to Nanami this time of like, I have to win or my whole world is shattered. Yeah. Nothing will ever be the same. I I can't go forward. I can't go back. I am just stuck here. And she even says, when she loses the duel, what's left for me? Am I just one more fly in the swarm? Anything but that. She wants that piece of I am something special. I have something special with someone so badly. And it's it's heartbreaking to see her like this. Also, interesting thing about this duel is that Nanami and Utena are fighting and they have moments of dialogue with each other, but it seemed more like a mental connection because like they're they were like grunting and making other noises like as they were talking. <laughs> yeah, so, like, the dialogue it, is like out of time with yeah. the fight itself. Like you can like they're having this conversation during the fight, 
but what we see is the fighting. Right. And like, holy shit, you were right. Like, that duel is one of the most savage. Nanami's fighting style in general is just direct, aggressive, and savage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see it with her first duel. We see uh we see um uh we see Tsubuki borrow that same style. Um I think like the only person who is like on that same level of um almost like bestial rage is like Shiori and Wakaba. Yeah, I was gonna say Wakaba for sure. And Wakaba's probably the closest comparison because she also her duel was about don't take my something special away from me. I have to have it. Like you've always been special. You don't know what it's like for me. It's it parallels Nanami's struggle too. So like some of the stuff that they actually say in this conversation, Nanami is talking about how she was sure there was a connection between her and her big brother, but there was nothing. And Utina replies, did there have to be one? And it's a very neutral question, right? Like, yeah. this isn't Utina judging her. Is this connection the only thing that matters? Like, does there have to be a connection for, like, your sibling relationship to exist? Because you were raised together, you know? Yeah. Um, and, of course, like, Nanami is having none of that. <laughs> <laughs> but Utina was right to ask the question. I think it's a question that Nanami needs to face. Yeah, because again, it's bullshit that like only blood is what binds you as siblings. It's bullshit. And so, yeah, Nanami is left with that question. What's left for me now? Am I just another fly in the swarm? And like Toga's right there. Motherfucker doesn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. We just move on to the next scene. I want to where. Point- Oh, go ahead. I, I want to point out, Nanami ends the duel on her feet. Yeah. She is one of the few who does this. She is That's still true. standing when the duel is over. She didn't sink to her knees. That's true. And, like, we had the car crash scene, like, sound effect, and, like, nobody was hit by the car. Everybody was unscathed. Yeah, there's no, like, Toga's body isn't draped out of the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So then we have a very curious end scene where Akio asks Toga, okay, to set the scene, Akio and Toga are in bed in like that canopy bed that we've seen before. Shirts undone. They're having pillow talk. And Akio is like, so are you going to tell her the truth that you actually are blood related? that you were adopted together by the Kiryu family. (laughs) Um, And Toga replies, he doesn't think so because isn't it more romantic to have a brother and sister who aren't related by blood? That is like 20,000 levels of fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When incest isn't enough, you play 3D chess with your incest. So... (laughs) Like, why? <laughs> and and to this, Akio replies, you are a truly awful brother. Like Takes one has, to no one. Exa- 
Exactly. Like he has any room to fucking talk. <laughs> Be quiet. <laughs> Go somewhere. Why are you, as a man, not working and making money for your family? Like, <laughs> shut up and be quiet. <laughs> oh. Anyway. The world would be a better place if Akio was a salaryman and not the head of a school. Oh, my God. The amount of trauma from this universe that would just, like, disappear. I literally wrote in my notes, damn, so Toga's just torturing her for no reason? Okay. Like, literally, <laughs> just playing with his sister's emotions because he can. Because he's bored. Because he wants to. And yeah, sure, it might serve, like, Akio's higher purpose, what the fuck ever. But this is, like, this one I felt like was totally Toga's shenanigans. And Akio was like, yeah, yeah, I'll just let you have the run of it. Like, as long as it serves my higher purpose, yeah. I couldn't give a shit. All right, I think we've rung this one out. Yeah. What are your <laughs> predictions for next time? <laughs> so, oh my God, I'm so nervous about the next episode. Because uh, this is, I think, the episode from the preview. This is the episode that Anthe is setting up Utena and Akio. She's like, hey, can you take, can you do me a favor? Can you like take these roses to my brother tonight? She's like, oh yeah, sure. And then we don't really see much of what actually goes on in the episode. We just see like Anthe in front of um, some constellations, like the the big window in their bedroom. Uh, we see the pink and red roses in a bouquet together. We see some sh uh, still shots of Akio and that's really it. So this is... Anthe setting up the dunk and it's up to Utena and Akio, really Akio, because we know who pulls the strings, um, to see what happens next. And I am so scared for Utena. <laughs> <laughs> I have never been more afraid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see whether your fears are are borne out. I know that I have said repeatedly Next episode is the hardest one to watch in the entire series. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. The title, by the way, is The Prince Who Runs Through the Night. I hope it's Utena fucking running the fuck away. <laughs> <laughs> Go, girl. Run as fast as your legs will carry you. <sighs> so we do have a couple of listener mails. Woo! So this first one is from Ashley, who has written in before. Uh, hello again. I'm too Hi, Ashley. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too late to be on the fan mail special, but it inspired me to write again since Autumn happened to mention currently watching Penguin Drum with Carly. And I have a fan theory that hinges on Penguin Drum for context. I made a Tumblr post going into this in great detail a million years ago, but it's surely lost at this point. Essentially, I've always been bothered by a teensy moment in the very first episode when Utena is first confronted by the guidance counselor about her uniform. Utena says, it looks just fine on all the boys here. Uh, my dude, that's a completely different outfit. <laughs> I'm sure most people consider it to be a continuity error or a mistranslation, but the, that explanation does not satisfy me, as Ikuhara does everything so intentionally. The manga has a throwaway explanation about uniform options, but that canon is so separate it hardly counts in my mind. 
So this line bugged me for ages until I saw Penguin Drum and a light bulb went on. In Penguin Drum, all the background characters are depicted as stick figures like one might see on a bathroom or a street sign. The show has a really strong motif about special versus not special people, and this artistic choice really drives that home. Utena also explores that same theme, although in general, Utena has a larger number of themes, and I think this one is maybe easier to gloss over. The background characters in Penguin Drum don't literally look like stick figures to other characters in the universe. This is just a signal to the audience that they aren't special. In Utena, at least my tinfoil hat opinion, uniforms function the same way. Utena says her uniform looks just fine on the other boys because in-universe, she's dressed the same as them. So are the student council members. This is just a visual symbolism so that the audience can quickly distinguish exceptional from unexceptional. Think about how this impacts Nanami in particular. Once she is made exceptional by being selected as a duelist, she appears in her yellow uniform until she is disillusioned and fed up and craves a return to normalcy. Despite her sadness and grief during her tragedy, she still has her yellow uniform on because she still is special and wants to maintain that. Only by the finale is she so over the dueling game, even more so than the rest of the student council, that she is once again depicted in a standard girl's uniform. And Ashley puts in a, a warning for spoilers for, for you on that one, but we see her do that in this episode already. Yeah. So like when they were having like breakfast at the beginning, she was already uh, not breakfast, but like um, when Kanae and Akio are having their private moment, she's back in a girl's uniform. Um, yeah. Okay. So Ashley continues. Uh, she talks explicitly about taking off her ring, but not about going back to her old outfit because there never was an old outfit. Not literally, at least. Anyway, thanks again for continuing to podcast and reading my long rambling message. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you, Ashley, for writing yeah. in. I actually really like this theory. Um, yeah, me too. And, it makes sense. And I, I really love the way you point out the way she takes off her yellow uniform. Because like that happened in this episode, and we didn't talk about it in the moment. We're talking about it now, but we didn't talk about it in the moment when it happened. And I love that you point, pointed that out. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, I didn't even realize it, to be honest. It, that was a detail that just totally skated right under my purview. But yeah, I like this theory too. It makes total sense. Um, we've seen how oblivious the characters are to the magical realism. So yeah, makes total sense to me. So our second letter is from Sarah, who writes, Hey, Autumn and Chesney. First off, I want to say I love this podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Revolutionary Girl Utena makes me feel absolutely feral in my brain, and it's so fun to be able to revisit the journey along with other people. <laughs> yes, I I agree with you. It makes me feel feral in my brain also. <laughs> <laughs> uh, about the anthe scenes, which Autumn described as, quote, lovingly animated. This theory is really just speculation on my part, so feel free to shoot it down. That being said, I think the reason Anthe's scenes you've already discussed, as well as some scenes coming up in a certain recap episode, have a different animation style because they're depicting Anthe from Akio's perspective, aka Ooh. basically the male gaze. It's not necessarily yeah. done to cater to the male gaze per se, 
but demonstrates how Anthe is being perceived in that moment by Akio. Interestingly, this particular style also there always seems to occur at moments when the depicted characters are dissociating, almost as if they have lost the ability to perceive themselves truthfully and are now viewing themselves through someone else's eyes. I wish I had something else wise to say about it, but given the show's general attention to detail and emphasis on what is happening to Anthe and Utena, and everyone else, to be honest, is wrong, I think it would be very odd if the animators were making these scenes beautiful just to be sexy. Keep up the good work, Sarah. So I have to admit I'm a little conflicted on this one. I I think that is a, a fantastic point that what we are seeing here is the male gaze falling upon Anthe. Yeah. I have a slightly harder time thinking that it's just showing us Akio's perspective because of some of like the promotional art that has been released around the show and the way in which that stuff depicts Anthe and Akio. Like I I really think there was at least one animator who didn't see what was wrong with what was going on. Bruh. And like <laughs> I like that's the like I love this theory. I, I I want to buy into it completely. It's just I've seen too much of the ancillary art around the show to think that there isn't at least one person on staff who didn't get the memo about like what's wrong with this scene. <laughs> He's like, what am I drawing? Oh, okay. What was this for? If that didn't exist, I would be completely on board with this theory and I wouldn't have any misgivings. Um, it's like all the outside stuff that just makes this hit different. And I know Chesney hasn't seen some of that stuff because she's not like in the discord for empty movement or having been in the community for, for 20 years. Um <laughs> So, like, some of that stuff is just, like, lurking out in the ether that she hasn't explored yet. <laughs> I've seen it, and I, I can't separate that knowledge from that scene. Yeah, I'm on a firm Google ban. Like, I can't, nah, I can't even look shit up because it's like, nope, I'll get spoiled. But other than that, no, I love this idea. Because, um, like, we also do see it with Jury, with Ruka. Like, that's another time where we see this other art style shop, uh, crop up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like this a lot, too. The it Another one that makes sense. Wow. Surprise. All Utena fans make sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be a yeah, fan no. of this show after so many years, I think this show draws in a fandom that is more open to this depth of inquiry. Yeah. Um, there's some great shows out there. Like Gatchaman Crowds is another one that like, I feel like I could podcast about mm -hmm. kill la kill. Nah, I don't have that <laughs> much to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> great show. Not that much to say about it. I mean, I have my critique of it in terms of like the way in which the core conceit is just an excuse to show the characters in increasingly fewer clothing options. Yeah, yeah. yep, mm -hmm. yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> like the gaze is built into the plot, which is kind of a bold choice, but 
I mean, like, respect for being open about making that choice, I guess, compared to shows that, like, pass it off as just being like, no, we're not doing that. Like, that show wears its bias on its sleeve. It's like, nah, we're here to look at big titties. (laughs) You know, like, um, specifically fascist big titties. Um, Yeah, um, and tell a ridiculous story, but yes. (laughs) Anyway um the total aside but i think like because of the (laughs) complexity of this show and the way in which like it handles some really heavy topics it has built into it a fandom that is ready to like dive in in that way yeah i love the utana fandom i love all of you listening to this you are why we do this (laughs) yeah Absolutely. I love having people who are so enthusiastic about this show 25 years later that they will listen to us ramble about it for two hours. (laughs) Yeah. And if you're listening to this episode, you have listened for almost two full days of listening time to get here. And I'm just kind of astonished by that. Listen, if there's two things that Utena fans have, it's sense and commitment. If you are one of those who wants to show that commitment, you can write in at absolutedestinypodcast <laughs> at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Twitter at zetaiunmepod. <laughs> Excellent segue. I'm also individually on Twitter. I'm at Life in Neon. I have also just gotten back into Twitch streaming. Right now, I am streaming The Quarry, which is absolutely incredible. Um, it's like playing a movie. I love every second of it. I've already lost a, a couple of a uh, couple of the camp counselors, so this run is not going well. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm also and- Life in Neon on Twitch. And I'm at Carcutie on everything, TikTok, Twitch, Twitter, um, Instagram. I hardly ever get on there anymore, but I digress. Um, I will be making my way through some Sims 2 playthroughs, I think, on Twitch soon. Um, I've started to get back into it after um, The Sims 4 has turned into the dumpster fire that it now is uh, because of the recent pack release. And uh, yeah, now I'm just going to my comfort game. So yeah, find us online. Send us in your thoughts. And we're still, you know, on the hunt for those fan fictions. So please still send those in as well. Yes, we definitely need to see uh, the fan fiction of uh, alternate characters dueling, not just dueling against Utena. Yes. So send that in and we will see you next time. <laughs>